I'm Sandra Hayes Buckley and you are listening to the Mind Your Mind podcast, a podcast that delves into what minding your mind means to different people, what self-care looks like in their lives and why minding their minds is so important to them. I hope you enjoy. This episode of the Mind Your Mind podcast is sponsored by Rainbow Crescent. Rainbow Crescent is an online shop specialising in uplifting products with the aim of putting a smile on people's faces. Check it out at www.rainbowcrescent.ie. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, I am absolutely delighted to announce that there will be a live recording of the Mind Your Mind podcast on Thursday, October 5th at 7pm in Middleton Park Hotel. On the evening, I will be joined by a fantastic panel of guests, including health psychologist Aideen Stack, teacher, author and founder of the Hope to Cope charity, Catherine Dolphin Griffin, and registered intellectual disability nurse and CBT psychotherapist, Emily Murphy. Tickets are on sale now over on www.rainbowcrescent.ie and I can't wait to see you there. On this week's episode, I am joined by Antoinette Coffey. Antoinette is a personal coach and is the owner of Antoinette Coffey Coaching. She helps busy working mums over the age of 40 to achieve a beautifully balanced life. During our chat, we discussed Antoinette's own experience of chronic stress, why lockdown brought with it a welcome reprieve from the hustle and bustle of working life, and her realisation that family is what is most important to her. Antoinette, you're so welcome to the Mind Your Mind podcast. Thank you so much, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me on. So for any of our listeners that are not familiar with yourself, could you give us an introduction into who you are and what you're all about? So my name is Antoinette and I am the founder of Antoinette Coffee Coaching, which is a coaching service for working moms in their 40s. Um, I am one of those working moms in their 40s. Um, My career is in early years. So I have worked in the early years sector for the last 20 odd years in the inner city. I work in a community services in the inner city in Dublin. Um, and I suppose I worked there since like even to say that I worked there 20 years is kind of like, you know, the way you don't realize, like, I'm like, am I that old that I've worked somewhere 20 years? But I have. Um, so I've done that work all my life. Um, and then I was managing a large uh, service in the inner city, a community based service in the inner city. Started doing that when I was 35, had my kids when I was 30. Um, and at 35, this manager's job came up. So that's, I suppose, when I got the real feel of being that working mom and um, trying to juggle full time work, two children. Um, and the stress level was just off the charts. I had previously worked part time when I had my first little fella and I worked in the rooms in the crash. And uh, that was like that was just living the dream, really little fella came along and then this opportunity to manage the service came along and it was one of those I kind of knew it was going to be stressful but I was like put your big girl pants on now Antoinette and get the full-time job and the mortgage and all that financial security and all the stuff us Irish mammies are told we need to have mm. so um in doing that work I I suppose I it was the first time I really experienced chronic stress and that impact of chronic stress. So I had said to my husband when I was 35, look, I'll give it five years. Um, I'm not doing this past 40. Um, I'm, I'll do it for five years. So sure then 2020 came and COVID happened. And I'm managing an early year service during COVID, which was, mm-hmm. I, I look at COVID pushed everybody to the brink. But I suppose for myself, managing an early year service was just really, really tough. Um, you know, your man trying to do this operating from home and, and supporting staff and supporting parents. And obviously the work I do is with vulnerable families. So, you know, we would have done a lot of like food parcels and kind of checking in with children who were quite isolated and parents who were struggling and all that kind of thing. Um, but on the other hand, COVID gave me the opportunity to stop. 
and my husband, who was a self-employed barber, who had never had any time off. And it really made us reevaluate our lives, as I think actually most people did in 2020. When the lockdown happened, I think it was bittersweet for a lot of people. It was kind of going, oh, my God, this is nice. This slow paced life is nice. Um. So we, I kind of said at that point, look, I'm not, I can't go back to doing what I was doing. I was, you know, I had previously before COVID burnt out twice. Mm-hmm. Um, every kind of two years, I had this cycle of like work, 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 busy, 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 burnout, and just have to take a few weeks off. So COVID happened, um, had a bit of time off, and then we went back into it. And of course, like most people, I did go back into it, full throttle, took it all on again, and then work there was a kind of the work just the relationships and work just started to deteriorate and things just started to get bad and, and I'm not really sure what exactly what happened even now but mm-hmm. it ended up in me having a panic attack one day after a meeting in work and I had to take time off and this was mm-hmm. September 2020 and I suppose when I stopped I ended up taking eight weeks off work and mm-hmm. it was like I think it broke me and I needed that break, if that makes sense. I needed yeah. to be pushed to the point where I had to stop. Um, both my parents have passed away of cancer. So I have lived with cancer in the family um, from when I was 17. My mom got sick when I was 17. My dad got sick when I was 21. My mom passed away when I was 27. And my dad, um, yeah, he passed away when I was 37. Mm-hmm. so it was a life of I suppose running on waiting from scan to scan and and then I suppose grief and then loss and that feeling of being untethered of not having that safety net of your parents because no matter how old you are let me tell you when they're gone it does it's terrifying so mm-hmm. anyway this thing happened in grief of both my parents and I suppose the trauma of living with parents who were terminally ill hit me mm-hmm. and I just crumbled and in fairness looking back it was the best thing that happened to me because I think my busyness was a way of avoiding these feelings mm-hmm. and emotions that I didn't want to face so when I'm throwing myself into work and I'm blaming work for stress and all this in actual fact in hindsight looking back it was me and it was my way of avoiding these uncomfortable emotions and keeping busy 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 and I'm all go 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 Mm -hmm. and I was living in fight or flight constantly living in fight or flight but it was also a way of me avoiding dealing with the grief so had to take this time off in 2020 and it hit me like a ton of bricks but it was kind of I had a bit of an awakening at that point in my life and I started to look past. I started listening to podcasts. I started reading books. I went for Reiki. I had this kind of going, OK, hang on now. Maybe what I've been doing, maybe there's other ways to live my life. Maybe there's other ways to see the world. Maybe there's other ways to deal with this, this grief and loss and these feelings that I'm feeling. So anyway, came back to work Um, took a lot for me to come back to work. Um, I used to have to put on my armor in the morning and go back and, and face the world and, and face people in work and try and still carry on. And I felt quite lost because I, even though I had this awakening, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go with it. I was like, I have to go back to this job where it's it's not, it's not fulfilling me. It's, it's, it's without a doubt impacting my energy and my mental health, but I don't see another other way. So I came back and a new girl had started and she was saying I had talked a lot of the work I do would be supporting parents because obviously, again, I'm dealing with vulnerable families. Um, and she was saying, oh, you'd be a really good life coach because she was seeing kind of a lot of the work and support I was giving to parents. She said, you'd be a really good life coach. And I was thinking, 
look, I'm, I wouldn't be, I actually thought a life coach was a career guidance counselor. To be honest, I, I was completely oblivious to the life coaching thing. And she said, oh, you'd be a really, really good life coach as regards, because I was taking a lot of people's energy on and I was taking it as my own. I was trying to solve everyone's problems and help people but it was impacting my mental health. And she was saying, you know, you're kind of giving some of the tools to help themselves. That's what a coach does. It's like putting it back on someone and they can use their own know-how, their own insights to help themselves. So um, she was saying like life coaching is taking you from where you are to where you want to be. And in the back of my head, I was thinking, that's, that's, I need one of them actually. Um, never mind becoming one of them. I need one of them because I need to know how to get from where I am to where I need to be, which is out of this place and, and in a better headspace. So I decided anyway to go and do the training and see how it went. And sure, I went to do the training and it was just life changing because not only did I realize how I could help other people without taking on that energy, mm. I also realized that there was so many other people just like me, people who were, you know, in, in careers, but who were really struggling with whatever beliefs or stories or narratives they had about themselves or the world around them. Mm -hmm kind of understand like <clears throat> it's not just me everyone's a little bit broken in a way everyone's a little bit struggling everyone's kind of trying to find their even the people who are the most together and they seem like they have their completely have their shit together they're struggling with something hmm. so it really gave me that feeling of going oh, I'm not broken I'm not alone I'm just dealing with my life as best I can so I trained and came back to work and, and during the training, I was saying, this is what I want to do. Like, you know, I was doing a lot of coaching. I was being coached while I was being trained and I was doing coaching with other people. And I was like, oh, this is this is this is where I need to be. This is helping me and this is allowing me help other people because I'm drawn to helping other people. Both my parents worked in the care and profession. My mom was a nurse. My dad drove an ambulance. My sisters work in hospitals. I work in childcare. So we're all in that mm helping kind of careers but it was like this was a way I could help people but I could help them help themselves and that's what I think mm -hmm. we need it's it's kind of there's no you can go in and someone's going to fix you you have to be able to fix yourself because challenges keep coming they don't just come and you're like oh that's it I'm done now my life's going to be plain sailing mm -hmm. life is full of challenges they hit you they hit you out of blindside and if you don't know kind of how to help yourself or that self-awareness you're screwed and you're kind of repeating the cycle. And I think in the past, that's what I was doing. I was getting myself well and then back. And it was just this endless cycle. So for me, the coaching was not only it helped me get from where I was to where I needed to be, but it was also a way of me to be able to help people without it impacting my my mental health. Mm -hmm. So I started to set up my own coaching business and I set up Antoinette Coffee Coaching, which um, I suppose my 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 clients are working moms in their 40s because that's me. Yep. Um, but also, I don't see, I suppose, when I turned 40, loads of things changed me. I left that job. Mm -hmm. um, I took on a part-time job in a different creche in the inner city, but it was part-time. So mm -hmm. I started, I set up my coaching. Um, I started sea swimming. I started going to the gym four times a week. And I realized Jesus, life does only begin at 40, you know, because I think we we think that like, oh, we're 40 and you're like, oh, sure, like, you know, I, I still feel 25. And I don't mean that like I definitely don't look it and I don't act. But I, as in, I still sometimes have a mental head of being I'm quite young, and carefree. I don't take things too seriously. And mm -hmm. I sort of think like 40s is still so young, so much more potential at 40. And it's sort of I want to be able to give other moms that support to be able to say, well, what do you want to do with your life? You know, what mm -hmm. do you want to change? It's not too late to change careers. It's not too late to start something new. Um. 
so now I coach working moms in their 40s. Um, and I suppose I'm like, I try to be like a cheerleader for moms. I'm trying to be like, you can do it. It doesn't have to be this hard. And I think maybe because my mom got cancer when she was 49. Now I was 17 and I thought my mom was old. <laughs> um, and now being 41, I'm there going, she was so, so young. And she lived with cancer until she was 59. Um, and I go like, God, she was just so young. But how young she was and life changed. Our lives changed, but her life changed. And she had so yeah. much potential and there's so much she could have done in her 50s. Um, but we, cancer just became a way of life, unfortunately, for those 10 years. Um, and then my dad was sick as well. And I think that's why I have this. I just have this perspective on life that like we can't be miserable. It's too it's life's too precious. Every single day just should be lived to the fullest. And even the bad days, it's just one bad day. You move on and the next day can be a good day. And it's like about that's I suppose, like I said, I'm very passionate because I've lost people that I love. And I know how precious life is and how one phone call overnight, your life can change and it will never, ever, ever be the same. So don't waste even a second worrying about the past, worrying about the future, living. And I know people talk about, oh, live in the present, but seriously, like live in the present. And um, so that's what I, what I want to do. I want to I want to be that cheerleader for working moms to say it doesn't have to be that hard. Life should be enjoyable and fulfilling and yeah it's hard it's it's hard but it doesn't have to stop you in your tracks and it doesn't have to stop you being the person that you want to be and creating the life that you deserve so that's where I'm at now um, I'm coaching working moms I'm um I'm developing well I'm going to release it now in in September I have a six-month program so I work with moms because I think that change happens doesn't happen overnight Habits don't change overnight. Um, but I'm working really, really hard to establish something that can really make a difference for moms. Because it's not about, you know, it's about making that difference, I think. And it's about connecting and everybody feeling like it's okay to say it's hard. It's okay to say you're struggling. It's okay to have a bad time. It's okay to say, I'm not coping. I need help. I need support. Mm. I need connection. Um, and that's kind of what I want to advocate. I want to really... Like I said, be the cheerleader for the working moms. And if I can do it, let me tell you, anybody can. So that's my story. That's where I'm at now. That's fantastic. And I suppose you touched on there, like you've had a lot of experiences, both negative and positive throughout the years. Do you think that that is why looking after your own mental well-being and also helping other working moms with their own mental well-being, their stress levels? Do you think that's why it's so important to you? Oh, yeah. Like, I suppose the big thing for me was when when I took those eight weeks off, I give everything to work. So I like and I'm very I give everything to every like I'm, I'm very giving. In, and I don't mean that to be like, oh, I'm a marvelous person. I give every I'm not. I'm just that's how it's sometimes to my own fault, by the way. So it's not necessarily a good thing. So I give a lot. And I when I don't get it back, I I take it quite personally and mm -hmm. I take things I feel things very deeply how does that that, that actually makes more sense it, I feel things very deeply mm -hmm. but when I took those eight weeks off the only people that were really were me and my boys and my husband my job carried on my colleagues mm -hmm. carried on everything carried on school carried on life carried on it was me and these two boys and my husband here when I was in a really, really, really bad state and I was thinking like we give so much of ourselves to other people, to our jobs, but really the most important thing is ourselves and our families. And if we can keep our heads above water, 
it's it's benefiting our our I suppose our nearest and dearest and in, like I never really thought about well-being in the past I never really t- I never really understood well-being I thought it was like oh wellness and well-being sure it's all the one but when I really sat back during those times and I started studying about keeping your your head in a good space because my head went to all like it, it didn't it wasn't it was unpleasant how I felt and I just I felt people don't need to be here this is such a I suppose the doubt the fear all those strong emotions it's it's not necessarily necessary to get to a point where you're broken and um, for me maybe it needed to happen in that way but not everybody needs to get to a point where you break because when you break it is just such an unpleasant place to be for you and your family it's hard to love it's hard to feel you just feel so numb and to go through that and if I can support someone to avoid those emotions are going down and getting to a point where you're broken and you can't actually cope because looking after your mental health is possibly like your mental health your physical health your emotional health and your spiritual health that's well-being and they're the core pillars of well-being and if you can i suppose not invest but if you can invest your time and energy in those four pillars and keep yourself well your family will benefit, your partner will benefit, your he- long term, your mental, physical, it will all benefit from investing in the pillars of well-being. Because at the end of the day, if you're teetering on the edge, your family are not going to be like, how would I say this? If you're teetering on the edge, it's your family who are going to feel it. Not your job, not your friends, not your extended family. It's the people who are living with you. If you're in tears sitting on the bathroom floor and your kids are knocking on the door asking why you're crying, have they done something wrong? That's a place nobody wants to be. I've been there and it's such it's not a place anybody wants to be. So if I can support moms to avoid getting to that stage where it's impacting their family because our children learn from us and they learn how we cope and they learn how we are, are kind of show up in the world. That's how they show up in the world because they're learning off us. So if we can model looking after our well-being and investing in our mental health, our physical health, spiritual, emotional health, we're teaching the next generation to do the same. So maybe burnout won't be a thing that they have to deal with their growing up. Maybe suppressing their emotions and not looking after their physical and mental well-being won't be something that the next generation has to deal with. If we model that now. So I suppose one of the biggest things I work on with the clients is the foundations, like foundations in for your mental health. You know, putting in all the practices that work for you, because at the end of the day, it will pay dividends in the end of your life or not at the end of your life for the rest of your life. But also by, I suppose, spending the time now and putting what I think most people do is they wait until the shit hits the fan to do it. They wait until things go bad. So instead of waiting and being like, that's grand, it's grand, we're grand, we're grand. And then bang. And then you're kind of having to take time off or whatever people have to do. It's like if you can put the foundations in now and you can start doing little things every day or every week to look after your overall well-being. When something happens, you're more resilient and you're better able to handle things as they come at you. Absolutely. And I think that will resonate with an awful lot of people. Because unfortunately, there is this kind of reactive like sense with a lot of people that, you know, oh, it, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And it's only when the shit hits the fan, like you said, that they'll actually do something. Yeah. And I know that for me, like with my own mental health, I was quite reactive. Um, I was already in a state of very 
very deep anxiety, um, low mood, panic attacks and everything before I actually ever told anyone about it. I had been suffering with this for months and months and months. So I can really resonate. And I know that an awful lot of people are. A lot of people will hide the fact that they're struggling, maybe not to the extent of panic attacks or, or depression or anxiety, but, you know, they'll um, hide the fact that they're stressed or they'll hide the fact that they're, you know, just feeling that bit burnt out that they just need that little bit of help. But actually, it's so much more beneficial to you if you put up your hand before any of that happens and says, I want to put something in place here that I'll be able to deal with it when that shit does hit the fan. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's and that's what it is. And I think this, I, I say it all the time that we're very, very good at pretending us women. Mm-hmm. We are so, so good. And I always say that we're like swans. So like on the outside, we're floating and we're smiling and we're like, oh, hi, everybody. And under the water, we're fucking like going 90. And I think that's the biggest problem with it's that we're so Irish. We're so like, we're all grand. Put the head down now and get on with it and just suck it up. But in actual fact, we're driving ourselves into burnout and anxiety and depression and panic attacks and low mood and all the places that we don't want to go. In, because I just don't think we're familiar or we're comfortable saying, I'm not, I'm not able this. I'm mm. not able because we're sort of like, well, our mothers were able, our grandparents were able and we should be able, we should be able to manage this instead of saying, no, like I need some support. I need connection. I need help. Mm, absolutely. And I was actually at a talk the other day with um, a psychotherapist and she mentioned how women are much better at masking than men and it's why for a lot of time a lot of a long period of time um it was thought that men suffered more with certain um neurodivergence yes. or oh, yeah and that sort of thing because women mask so much and it, i think it's probably the same for mental illness because you know women will have that put on that facade and you know no i'm fine i'm fine look at me i'm i'm managing everything i've all all the balls are are in the air and everything's fine yeah um and i think that like you said like it's this very irish thing of i'm grand everything's grand you know it's all fine when actually beneath the surface you are like oh holy mother of god what am i going to do yeah yeah and it's quite i find it's it was quite like for me i remember those days when i was working full time and you know, I have this lovely home. I have a great supportive husband. I have two gorgeous, healthy children. And yeah, my parents passed away, but I don't like that's look at that's one of those things. But like I, I'd be very and I used to sit and be like, you're so why, why are you so miserable? Like, how can you be miserable? You have these people don't people are crying out for children or people don't have jobs or don't have homes or whatever it is. And I'm sitting here with all of this. Why am I so miserable? What is wrong with you, Antoinette? And you know, and I felt it was quite like I didn't feel I could say to somebody, my husband or whoever, my friends, like, I, I, I'm not, I'm miserable. Mm. So they say, what do you mean? Sure, you're great. You're having a great time. You're, you know, you, you, ha- you know, you're getting away on holidays and on paper. Sure, everything looks good. But I was just like this. If if this is life like this is shit, bitch, this is a bit shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This kind of isn't what I'd hoped it to be. But you don't want to admit that, like, I'm unhappy. Because mm. it's just where, where I, I don't know, is it is it the Irishness that we're programmed not to complain or our mothers didn't complain? But there's very much this kind of um envi- kind of a, a culture of, like you say, we're grand, all grand. Give me a bottle of wine on Friday so I can decompress. 
And that's what that's kind of like that becomes sort of this cycle of just work, 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 busy, busy, busy. Like I used to think that my busyness was a sign that I was productive and achieving. And I used to be like, yeah, I was on the go. Busy, busy, busy. Sure, my children just see, I'd be like the flash running around the apartment. They just see bits of me. Do you know that kind of way? Mm-hmm. I'd be just zooming around. And I was never present. And I thought that that was, that, that's kind of what you need to be. That's how we should be. We need to be busy. We need to be on the ball. We need to be go, go, go. We need to be here, there and everywhere. And actually it's kind of a false narrative because what I was doing was just driving myself and reinforcing that burnout and that anxiety. And, you know, I, I used to find, I used to have very, very bad anxiety. And and I remember going to a counsellor one time and, and she was saying, what's what's your anxiety trying to tell you? I was like, trying to what? What? I don't. What do you mean? Trying? And she said, the next time you feel it, sit with it. Instead of trying to avoid it, sit with it. And I remember being like, okay, right. Now this was this was burned out before um the big one, um <laughs> the big burnout. But um, and I remember one night I woke up and 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 I was like, oh, there it is again. That knot in my stomach. I feel nauseous. I just oh, I feel horrible. Oh, and I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I was told to do. Mm-hmm. I went out and I sat on the couch, and I sat with it. And I just sat on the couch. And this was kind of, I suppose, the start of me tuning into myself and realizing that I was actually, I suppose I I was, I needed to listen to my own intuition and tune in. And I sat on the couch and I was sitting and I was like, okay, okay. Just sitting there for a few minutes. And then I just went, oh, I'm terrified. And I was like, I'm ter- and I was like, oh my God, I'm, t- I'm actually, I was going around just, it was kind of a year after my dad passed away and I was just scared like I was like I might as well have been a five-year-old child lost in a field I just felt this fear of being on my own and this fear of being lost and this fear of being alone and my parents have passed and again the safety net and it was like when I tuned into the anxiety and I went oh you're actually okay right you're trying to tell me something and I think an awful lot of us we run away we're just like oh that anxiety feel oh girl gross give me my phone pick up my phone and I'll scroll and then I'll feel better or give me a bottle of wine or I'm just going to go in and watch some shit on Netflix and just kind of forget. And -hmm. it's like maybe if we all sort of just stopped and tuned into ourselves and our intuition and our spirituality and saw that actually maybe we're trying to help ourselves without realizing it. And instead of avoiding these and, and these uncomfortable feelings, if you kind of tune into them, you sort of help yourself solve your problems, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think as well, you touched on it there, you know, like you really need to tune into it because there is a reason your, you know, your mind is not doing this for no reason that they, they, it senses danger. Yeah. But you need to figure out what that danger is in order to kind of move past it. So like, like yourself now, I had to do a lot of work on re- actually sitting with the anxiety and what, what it meant. And um, a lot, for a while I had to do that in a very safe environment with my counselor and, yeah. um, and that sort of thing but you know a lot of the time as well it comes down to your inner child your you know your inner child is scared of something and that's why your brain is trying to protect you from whatever it is that that you're scared of and I think that that point is is really important what you said there like even though it, it sounds mental to sit with your anxiety and like just sit with it and figure out what it wants a lot of the time it's so important for because like how I suppose the thing is, how can you move forward with something that you don't understand or yes. you don't know where it's coming from? Because how then will you put things in place to deal with it? Yeah. 
yeah and that's and I think the the inner child thing and the the anxiety like the anxiety thing I now reframe anxiety as the alarm the alarm is going off what is it trying to tell me I can either silence it and go and pick up my phone and scroll or whatever so I can either silence the alarm or I can reset the alarm sit with it Mm -hmm. Maybe learn a little bit about myself, coach myself through it. Just ask myself, what are you trying to tell me? What's off? And a lot, a lot of time it can be fear. It can be like, oh, my God, I'm so afraid I'm going to fuck up or I'm so afraid someone's going to reject me or I'm so afraid I'm going to let people down. It can be fear. It can be <clears throat> inside saying you're not aligned with your values. You're not behaving in alignment with what's most important to you. And um, it's a lot of things, but it's about you kind of have to, that's what I said, I, I, I see it as an alarm and you can either silence mm. it or you can reset it. And if you silence it, it's going to go off again. It's going to keep going off. Like any alarm, you have to reset the alarm. But like you said, I think that the inner child work is so, so important. And one of the big things I do with my clients is self-awareness because for me, learning about myself was the biggest sledgehammer to the face <laughs> I have gotten in the last few years. It was just like, Oh, that's why I do that. Oh, I just thought I was, you know, what I just thought I was, there was my quirks or whatever it is. I think doing that inner child work and really looking at yourself and looking at what your conditioning and your lifetime of beliefs and conditioning have, the beliefs that's created in you now is so, so powerful. And like you said, how can you move forward if you don't understand what's holding you back? Because in order to let it go or get over it, you need to understand it. So a lot of times I would do, and it it, it's, it seems a bit like, you know, people, inner child, you can see people kind of going like, really? Inner? And I'm like, no, like, it's a really important place to go back to because unless you go back to that child and give that child what that needed, whether that be a hug or reassurance or just to be told it wasn't your fault or you're loved unconditionally or whatever you needed to hear back then, it is, it, it's, it's, I won't say it's impossible to move forward, but it's incredibly hard. The journey mm. is, is a lot bumpier unless you're willing to sit with those uncomfortable emotions and go back and really give yourself what you needed. Um, mm. And it's, it's not, it's not in a, you know, that kind of woo woo kind of, you know, way people sort of, I, I just know a lot of people kind of dismiss the inner child work. But it is just incredibly important and it's a form of self-awareness. And I think unless you are aware of yourself, why you are, why you think the way you think, what, you know, why your beliefs are your beliefs, what, mm. you know, conditioning, we have a lifetime of conditioning and you can't break that overnight. You can't break that with, you know, it has to be done over time and it's learning to get to know yourself. Like I'm extremely self-aware because I am a real deep thinker. I'm a deep feeler, but I'm a real deep thinker. So when I something is challenging me, I will go off and I'll go for a walk and I'll talk chat away to myself. And um, if anyone was beside me, they'd be like, is she on her phone? And I'd be like, no, I'm just actually coaching myself here. But I would really go back and do that work of why? Like, why do I? Where is that coming from? What is that uncomfortable feeling coming from? Where is that belief? Is mm. that actually my belief or is that a belief that I've learned? And if it's a belief that I've learned, do what does that hold true to me now? Because a lot of the beliefs, I suppose, we're 
we're con- not conditioned, but we're, you know, we come from traditional Ireland, you know, where mm-hmm. our parents were a completely different generation and the generation after us are again completely different. So we're trying to, we're trying to, I suppose, hold on to our core beliefs, but also kind of going just because maybe my father believed something does that hold true to me now? Or is that a belief that I can let go of? And it's about, I think, doing that work and going back and learning about yourself and becoming self-aware. So as you said, you can move forward. Yeah, and I think that self-awareness part, it's its a self-care in itself, really, um, because you are looking after your own, your own mental well-being by becoming yeah. self-aware. And I suppose, as well as that, if you are someone who suffers like, like I did with panic attacks, that self-awareness part is actually key because when, you know, when panic hits, it's, you know, you then have the awareness that it's okay. I'm not in danger. You know, this will pass. Yes. It's it's fine. Whereas like when I started suffering with them first, firstly, I had no idea what they were <laughs> and at, at the start thought it was heavy hashtag. But then when I was having them all like kind of multiple times a day and, and it got to a very advanced stage, like I didn't have the awareness of what I could do. Yeah. You know, and I had to do a lot of work on figuring all that out, but it is a form of self-care and, you know, it's really looking after yourself from kind of from the inside out. Um, and I suppose on that vein, um, what are the self-care practices that you have built into your life to look after your own mental well-being? Um, yeah, I've uh, like since I turned 40, I've really, really I put a lot of emphasis. I really prioritized my own well-being because I know it impacts positively on the rest of the family. So I don't see it as something I need to apologize for or that I need to explain. And I also really believe and I really, really not push this on my clients, but like, you know, that that belief that you're teaching your children, you're not you know, you're not sacrificing time with your children to do something for yourself. You're teaching your children to put their needs or prioritize their needs and to look after their well-being. So it's not always about, it is about obviously looking after yourself, but it's also looking at it from the point of you're not, oh no, I better spend time with the kids. You're teaching your kids to look after themselves. So in their future, that's what they will know and that will be their normal. So for me, um, I get up very early. So I now I go to the gym four times a week and I go at half five in the morning, which is just ludicrous hour. And I love my sleep. So for me to even be saying that I get up 10 to five every four times a week, but I value my physical health. And obviously, you know, I lived with there was cancer in my home, not in, you know, not sounds like it was a cold, but I lived with my parents having cancer for mm-hmm. m- most of my adult life. So physical health is a really, really strong priority of mine I want to live a long long time for my boys and I tell them that all the time I go to the gym because I want to be able to chase you and catch you, but I also want to be able to live a very very long time so for me my physical health is the reason I get up at 10 to 5 that's my why that's I don't even think about it it's getting up and out in the morning and my morning routine is really really important like when the kids are up before me my day is just a little bit off kilter I need to be I'm like all day god almighty time for me in the morning whether I go to the gym or I don't is my anchor for the day. So I get up. So if I'm not going to the gym and even when I come back from the gym, I come home, put on a coffee, sit on the couch, put on my little, my furry dressing gown, get my book out, 
and I do my gratitude and I write my gratitude out every single day. And actually gratitude is a huge reframe for me when the negative thoughts are seeping in or I feel stress is kind of making me have those worrying thoughts. I'll always just go five things you're grateful for. And it just reframes you and it just shifts your energy into from negative to positive. So my morning routine is is big. I I have a really good morning routine. I'm up before the boys. I do my gratitude. Um, I write out my affirmations. No, I don't do that. And I don't do, I don't always write out the 10, um, my list of gratitudes. I might do it as I'm in the kitchen. Um, like, you know, I'm only human. Sometimes I miss the alarm or sometimes I fancy a lion and I don't always get up. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, I'm up early in the morning. I do my gratitude, irregardless whether I write it down or I call it out. I do mm. affirmations. Um, I do a weekly sea swim, which I started doing last year. I'm almost doing it a year and it is just incredible. I was mm. in the sea in the snow. Again, for me, I'm a cold creature. So for me, I'm in the sea in the snow. Like, But I do it purely because my mind is telling me I can't and not to do it. So I do it to push myself out of my comfort zone because I know that from a neuroscience point of view, if you can train yourself to push past what you think you're capable of, it improves your resilience and it kind of it's pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and building that belief, the confidence. Um, And also, again, it means that when the shit hits the fan and things do get uncomfortable, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable because this is what I'm trying to set up. I'm, I'm trying to set myself up to be able to deal with challenges as they come, that they don't floor me, that I'm able to go, okay, I'm struggling, but I have the tools, I have the toolkit and I'm able, because if I'm able to jump in the sea, in the snow, I'm able to deal with this, if that makes sense. So they would be a huge thing for me. Um, I, I would get to the gym four times a week and if I'm not going to the gym, I get out. Physical exercise for me is how I relieve or release that tension. Some mornings I can wake up and the thoughts are racing and I'm like, okay, I need to get out. I either go for a walk, go to the gym or go for a run. And before I was going to the gym, like I'd, I'd have, I could feel that building up, that anxiety building up. And my husband would just be like, you need to go for a run when you come back. And I'd know myself, tension would build and I can feel myself. So for me, physical exercise is huge. Morning routine is huge. Gratitude is huge. And then pushing myself out of my comfort zone is huge. And I would use a lot of like when I start feeling stressed, I would use a lot of breathwork techniques. And so again, at night, if I'm feeling the race and thoughts, because even though you do all this work, Sandra, as you know, it's still like you're not you don't click your fingers and be done. And you're like, oh, I'm magically floating around every day. And I'm just like this amazing being who just doesn't feel stress. We all feel stress. Life still happens, but it's having the tools in your toolkit to be able to deal with it. So if something is bothering me or if I'm having a tough day or maybe the child, kids have pushed me and I've lost my temper and I feel bad, whatever parenting stuff has happened, I would do a lot of breath work. So I would do a lot of breath work techniques and um, I'd lean into meditation. I wouldn't do it as a ritual every day, but I would do it a few times a week and it might be for 10 minutes. Um, but I do... Um, meditation regularly and I would get outside I'm from the country originally so I live in the city I live beside a park but I'm always drawn to nature and open fields so I really love going for a walk and I prioritize myself when I need it when I know I need it instead of where I would have thrown myself into work and busyness and been like okay I'm feeling stressed right so I'm not going to deal with that now I'm going to be really really busy and I'm going to go here and there I'm going to do this I stop now and I go okay I can feel this coming on. I'll do a lot of my breath work, walking, whatever it needs to be. 
I look mm -hmm. after. But like I said, my my rituals and my routines would be very kind of like as in the sea swimming and the gratitude and the gym and physical exercise and then breath work when I need it, meditation. Um, and you know what I do a lot of times? And it's something I think it's from the, it's it's some from inner child work I did before. There's mm -hmm. sometimes when I feel that sense of panic or I feel something and I literally just put my hand on my heart and I'll just say you're safe. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's all I need to hear. You're safe. I just close wherever I am. Could be standing in a queue. Nobody knows what I'm doing. A lot of times I might lie in bed and I just put my hand on my heart and I just say, you're safe. And that just eases me. And that, again, I think that does come back to inner child work and that the fear and stuff. Um, so I have the tools to be able to deal with stuff as they come along. Um, but my morning rituals and my weekly rituals, I would be I would be very, very um strict on and I remember one time at the beginning of the sea swimming the kids had rugby or something was coming up and um I was saying oh it's not going to work I can't go for the swim this morning now um there's rugby and there's train and one's going one place and the girl the woman I go swimming with went hang on now stop I'm going to stop you there and I was like what and she goes why does your thing have to go first why does your activity have to be the first to be dropped and I was like do you know what? You're so right. Without even thinking, I was willing to drop the one thing that was for me in a week. Now, this is early on. This is before I kind of, you know, became was firm in my weekly routine. But it really made me realize how quickly I was able to just go, oh, no, it's grand. I won't do my thing. I'll make sure everyone else is sorted. And from that day on, I just refused to let it go because I know that it impacts me positively for the rest of the week. Fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned something there is about the importance of prioritizing yourself. And I think if people who are listening, if they take away anything from today's episode, I think that is the big point really is prioritize yourself. And I think that's a lovely note on which to finish up um, our episode. So thank you so much for joining me on the Mind Your Mind podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, Sandra. It's been great chatting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Mind Your Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, rate, review or follow. It really does help with getting the podcast out there. You can follow us on Instagram at mindyourmindpod for extra content and some behind the scenes action. Talk to you next week and in the meantime, don't forget to mind your mind.